All right, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians again. We were in Philippians last week, first part of chapter 2. We're going to skip down a little bit farther into chapter 2 and start at verse 12. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thankful, Father, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. And Lord, we thank you now for the Word of God, the life-changing, heart-altering Word of God. And we ask now that it would be applied to our lives. Speak to us powerfully, and may it change who we are and how we live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I want to say about that song, I know that you are for me. What I really love, I mean, the whole song's fantastic, but what I really love about that song is we're singing about how we know God is for us. It's almost like we're quoting what it is about us. But the chorus ends with knowing who he is because it's, it's, it's not about us particularly. It's about who he is. And because of that, we can now say, this is who I am. And so I'm grateful for who he is in Jesus' name. So Philippians chapter 2, and that goes with what we're talking about today. Chapter 2, verse 12. This is the English Standard Version. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world." Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to share a message that is just a phrase from verse 15, that you may be. Um, we know, that, we know that image is important in our world. We, we work a lot on outward things. Let's just be, let's be honest. We work a lot on outward things, whether it's how we look or the clothes that we wear. I know, honestly, if you've been to Walmart, you can say sometimes you wonder if anyone has worked on their image, right? Or, or, or worked on, on the clothing that they wear, right? Um, I mean, is it, is it hard to put on actual pants? I mean, do, do pajama pants have to go everywhere? Anyway, I, I get up some days and I'm like, was today pajama day? Did they announce that? Did I miss that on Facebook? But we work on things, how we look. You know, we work on our yards. We work on how our homes look. Um, and so we, we, we take a lot. I, I think it's awesome you know, when you could, because you drive by a house and if it looks nice on the outside, you're like, well, that's a nice house. But you know that there are some people that have like this immaculate yard, but if you go inside, it looks like a bomb went off, right? They spend all this time outside working on what, you know, I like the houses that you drive by and they, you know, they've got like a big deck and a swimming pool and then they live like in one of those egg shaped pool behind trailers or something. That, that, that's always, you know, we'll, let's spend $40,000 on a pool outside and then we'll live in a, in a box behind it, right? Um, but we spend hours sometimes, you know, washing or detailing our vehicles, right? How many of you have spent more than two hours washing a car? Yes. Something's wrong with y'all. You know, it's going to rain tomorrow, right? There's a mud hole right down the street. All right. We spend a lot of time in front of, of the mirrors and <clears throat> some of you come away from mirrors and you are flawless. 
right? And then there's some of you come away from a mirror and you wonder if the mirror, there's something wrong with the mirror, right? Does your mirror work? Do you got one of those cartoon mirrors, one of those carnival mirrors in your, I don't know what happened there. Social media obviously is a place where we see the image painted that we want everybody to see. And we talk about that a lot. It really is. It has become, I think, dangerous to our psychology, our psyche, our emotional health uh, is how we try to portray ourselves on social media so that everybody sees those kinds of things. But we all know that sometimes the image that we project is not the real us. You know, Pastor Don talked a couple uh, sermons there ago about how we all want everybody to see our highlight reel, but, but yet we all know that we have bloopers. Probably more bloopers than highlights, right? And it's the blooper reels that are the funniest part of our lives, right? Uh, we don't always want to talk about those parts because it might be funny after the fact, but it's not funny in the fact, right? But lots of times our images don't, our image doesn't necessarily even match who we really are. Now, the thing is, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being concerned with our image. I mean, the Bible tells us that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. So our reputations matter. What people know about us is important. What people think about us is important. If I go to your workplace and I were to say that, you know, so-and-so is a Christian and they look at me like, what? You know, that's probably not a good thing, right? Because our reputation is important. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. The two qualifications for the first deacons in the, in the Bible was that they were supposed to be filled with the spirit and seven men of good report. Right? We, and that was actually the first one. Not be filled with the Spirit first. Have a good reputation. People should know us as who we say that we are. But image, reputation, outward things can change. No matter how immaculate our homes look, there's always a junk drawer. There's always a dust bunny under the bed. Right? There's, no matter how much work we put into the house... We've got something stocked somewhere that we don't want anybody to see. Some of us have literally built onto our homes just to stock stuff in it. How many of you need to build on to stock? I need to build on to stock. You never know how much you've got until all of a sudden you start moving stuff. Oh, there's that thing I haven't seen for five years. Obviously, I need it. We can leave the house flawless. We can look beautiful when we walk out of the house, but eventually the wind's going to start blowing. The humidity's going to get your hair, women. Eventually you're going to start sweating. You're going to stink. No matter how pretty, how well you smell when you come out of the room, out of the house, by the end of the day, you stink. You know, I work in a chemical plant. I won't name the name, but it's over in Bell. And they make... They make product that has ammonia in it, which smells like the fishy smell. You know, and I, my, I come home and I try the fastest I can. You can't, you can't get away from it. It stinks. And it gets on your clothing. You know, anytime I walk into the office, people's like, whoo, you've been, you know. So I try my best when I come home to, to immediately get it off and shower. And I had, had thrown my clothes at the bottom of the steps. And Amy came up the other day and she's like, something smells like it's dead downstairs. Said it's probably my clothing. It's a sweet mixture of ammonia and sweat. No matter how much you clean that car, there's going to be a mud hole. And 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 what we are doing and saying outwardly is sometimes not going to match who we are on the inside. 
That's life. That's how it happens. I believe it was Socrates that said that the, the true measure of success is to be in reality what people perceive you to be. And so this is where God always starts. We typically always start on outside things, but that's not where God starts. God always starts on the inside. And if there's anything you've ever heard me say or preach that I feel like we need to get in our hearts is that God is always more concerned about who we are and who we are becoming than he is about what we are doing or how we look, for a matter of fact. He's more concerned about the real you, the real inside, the heart of the matter than he is about the image or the reputation that you're trying to uphold or even the actions that you're doing because we all know that our actions are birthed out of our character. It's birthed out of who we are. If we want to change how we act, we have to change who we are. Salvation is first and foremost a heart issue. It's an inside job, right? Salvation's an inside job. Jesus told the religious leaders that they were whitewashed stones, pretty on the outside, but full of what? Dead men's bones. He accused them of drawing near with their mouths, but their hearts were far away. The Bible defines salvation as being born again, being born a second time, being born from above. Paul defines it as becoming a new creature in Christ. Who you are has to change. Paul specifically in his letters, in his epistles, tell us this is who you once were and now in Christ, this is who you are now. The whole point of salvation is who you once was is not the same as who you are now. If it is the same, then you haven't been saved. You haven't been born again. You are changed from the inside out. So when it comes to being a follower of Christ, the first question is not what are we doing, but who are we becoming? Paul uses the phrase in verse 15, that you may be. Not that you may do, but that you may be. Because the most important thing is the be. What are you becoming? Not just your image, not just putting on a show, the actual be. The actual you. The New American Standard Bible says that you will prove yourself to be. In other words, it is evidenced. What you do is only the evidence of who you are. That eventually it will work out. We are always called to action as Christians, but actions should be a result of who we are becoming. Our actions prove who we are. Our actions prove our growth our hunger, our desire, our pursuit. And what is Paul encouraging them to be? If you look at these passages of Scripture, it tells us he uses some definite or some adjectives of what it means as we are pursuing God and who we are becoming. He says you be blameless. What's it mean to be blameless? It means that we, when we live a life of holiness, when we live a life of righteousness, it places us in a position where we can't be accused Reputation does matter. And so when we live holy, righteous lives, it puts us in a position where we can't be accused. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to live above reproach, right? We're supposed to live a lifestyle that is above reproach. It's like the Billy Graham rule where where Billy Graham would never at, at any point in time be in a room by himself with someone of the opposite sex. Does that mean he has no respect for women? Does that mean, because I think Mike Pence got in trouble over this because he's followed the Billy Graham rule and everybody acted like that that was some misogynistic, look down on women, don't care about. 
But the whole point was is he's a, that they're a married man. They were married men. They were trying to protect their reputation, protect their marriage, and do what was right. This is, this is an important aspect of what it means to follow Christ. That we recognize that as we walk in holiness and righteousness, it keeps us from being blamed for what is happening. He also calls them to be innocent. The word innocent here means simply can mean pure, but the Greek means not mingled or a destructive mixture. Not a destructive mixture. We are called to have a heart that is not mingled with the world or tainted with the sin of this world. Right? So we're called to be blameless, living holy and righteous. Then we are called to be innocent, pure, unmingled, not tainted with worldly things or the pursuit of sin or the pursuit of selfishness or the pursuit of what the world considers success. We've also been called to be children of God. Remember, being a child of God is who you are. Right? It's who you are. And you become a child of God by grace through faith. I need to announce to everyone in here, you are not all children of God if you have not been born again. You are born into this family by grace through faith. You don't get salvation by osmosis. It is not sent down to you by an inheritance by your, from your parents. You're not saved because you go to church or live a good life. You are a child of God by grace through faith. And we should live from this reality. We live from the reality that we are children of God. Why? Because we carry around the name of our king. As kingdom people, we carry around the name of our king. If we call ourselves Christians, then we are saying we are Christ-like. So as children of God, we are showing forth the image of our father. A few Wednesdays ago, I did a lesson on who do you look like? Who do you look like? Remember Jesus told the, the, uh, the religious leaders, you look like your father, the devil. That's ugly. Who do we look like? If we are children of God, we should look like God. And then he says we're supposed to be lights in the world. This is our calling, right? Who we are translates into what we are supposed to do. Because of who we are, we become lights, Right? It doesn't matter. You can draw a picture of a light bulb, but it's still not going to give you any light. Is it? Am I right? Because it's not an actual light bulb. It's just a picture of one. Right? We can look like a light and not give off any light. Because as we shine as lights because of who we are, not because of what we look like, not because of our image, but because of who we are. So because we are, we are becoming we recognize that we are called to be lights in the world. We shine as lights. Why? Because we are lights. What do lights do? They shine. They shine. If there's power to the light, it can't do anything but shine. That's what it's made to do. And as long as we are connected, as long as we are becoming, then we shine. Now the process of becoming who God has called us to be is what we call sanctification. It's what we call God setting us apart. No one has arrived. So we take courage that God is not done with us. We take courage that we are still climbing, that we are still moving in a certain direction, right? We all know that, that, that 
If we're going to get where we're going, that it's not just the action of the climb, but it's the attitude of the climb that gets us where we're going. We all know that when we are, if we're actually trying to get in shape or to be healthier, we know that it can't just be what we do. There has to be a change in the way we think in order for us to actually get healthy or to start living a healthy life. It has to change how we think. Because if we only do, then we get tired, we get worn out, and then we stop. Right? I'm going to eat healthy. I'm done with that. I need a donut. Right? Eventually, you get tired of it. Okay? So we have to change how we think. The climb is going towards his presence. The climb, the sanctification, the setting apart is moving us in a certain direction. We are growing in grace. Why? So that we can be. And Paul lays out a process here of growing and what it looks like. There's five things I want to point out to you. Five things I want to point out that Paul lays out a process here of growing and what that looks like. The first thing he points out is obedience. He tells them, you know, you've, you've always obeyed and you've obeyed when I'm around, but even more you need to obey when I'm not here, right? And really that is what depicts who we are as the people of God. It's, it's easy for me to stand up here and obey. I'm preaching a sermon. I obeyed God, all right? But when you guys leave, you know, if I cuss out somebody, then I've kind of failed in my obedience, right? We have to recognize that it's not just how we look on the outside. Obedience is the key to every area of, of the Christian life. It's the one, one thing. It's the one thing that we've truly been called to do. Obey. Amen. We just obey. Go to his word, know what it says, hear his voice, and then have the courage to do it. That's what we're called to do. Obey. We can talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, obedience is where the rubber meets the road. It's the indicator of who we serve and what we consider vital and what we consider important. Obedience is the source of blessing. It's the source of our greatest fulfillment. And let's be honest, disobedience is normally a sign of a lack of faith and a wandering heart. Unfaithfulness is a sign of a wandering heart. And so when we don't live in obedience, all it is is indicating that our heart is somewhere else. We can say Jesus is my king, but it should be seen in our obedience. Yes, master. Yes, king. I will do what you say. Right? I've always said before, if the Lord tells me to stand on my head in the corner and spit nickels, my only response is, is how much change you need. Not why am I over in the corner spitting out nickels. Right? It doesn't make any sense. But all I need to know is how much change you need. Right? Because I, as much as obeying God may not always be convenient, it's always the source of the greatest blessing. And it's always what's going to bring me the greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction. So we can't just talk. We have to obey. Hear the word. Know what it says. Hear his voice. And then don't be afraid to obey it. Number two, work hard. Work hard. There's always a fine line between faith and works. But they always go hand in hand. Jesus said, God, Paul says here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is not telling us that you are working 
to be saved. He's wor- he says, work out. Work out. Exercise your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. How many of you know that e- obedience in and of itself can be hard work? Obedience can take sacrifice. It can take courage. Obedience is time-consuming. Obedience is inconvenient. Right? God doesn't always call you to obey when you're feeling good or when you've got a good rest or, you know, when it's sunny. Right? Or when you're going to be noticed. God doesn't always call you to obey and then say, I'll give you a plaque and hang it on the wall at the church so everyone knows what you've done. Right? Obedience can be work. Prayer can be work. I don't know about you, but my prayer life is not always fluffy and floating and feel good. And is that your, is that, when y'all pray, is that how you feel? I mean, when I pray, I feel like I'm at war sometimes. When I pray, sometimes I feel like I just don't want to pray. I don't want to pray. God, I don't want to pray, but I'm praying. Right? Prayer can be work. Reading our Bibles can be work. But part of the salvation calling is to continue to work it out in how we live. Who we are always shows in how we live. That's not a great revelation, but for some reason we lose that disconnect. That we keep trying to fix how we live and we're not fixing who we are. Hard work in our day and age has become a precious commodity. I mean, let's be honest. Hard hard work has become a precious commodity right now. We have an entitlement mentality in the world that we live in, and what it does is it creates a desire for things to be handed to us without much effort. Right? I mean, if you've heard the saying, you can't expect an A if you studied for a B. Right? Or a D. You didn't study at all. Right? But many times that's the mentality that we have. Even as parents, we'll have that mentality about our kids. If they're having trouble in school, it's the teacher's fault. It's Johnny's fault who won't shut up. Did y'all ever have that kid in school that wouldn't shut up? And then you got in trouble for it? That happened to me twice. Same kid. I got paddled one time. Because the kid beside me would not shut up. That's right. Wasn't my fault. But that's the way, isn't that the way we are many times? That entitlement mentality tells us that I'm beautiful and wonderful and everything should just pop up posies for me. We carry that into the presence of God. God, why aren't you doing this for me? Why is everything so hard? Why do I have to go through this battle? Why do I have to face this? If we don't settle in our hearts that life is hard, then it's always going to take us by surprise because it's hard. It's, it, you, you know, you're always, but hard work pushes us through. You know, the Bible actually says a lot about hard work, about being diligent in what we do. It encourages us to be industrious. Our salvation is totally of God, but we work out that salvation as though it relies on our obedience. Salvation is totally of God, but we live it out and work it out as though it completely relies on our obedience as we live Through the hard, tough times of life, we recognize that God is bringing us through something. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we're going to obey. We're going to work hard. Number three, we're going to trust God. Paul tells them to work it out. But then he reminds them that it is God that not only gives them the power to do the work, 
but puts the desire in them to do the work. He says in verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. In other words, God literally puts the desire in you to do and then gives you the energy to do. So what's that mean? We are required to work like it relies on us, but we trust God like the results rely on Him. We work because we believe that our obedience matters, but we trust God for the results. God is the source of our energy, and He is the reason why we work. We do this for His glory, right? We do this for His kingdom, we do this for, the, for, for His joy and His pleasure. So we work with all our might, but we don't trust our work. We trust God. We plan well, but we don't pl- trust our plans. We trust God. We sing with all our hearts, but we don't trust our singing. We speak clearly and creatively, but we don't trust our speaking. We should work to create and produce and lead and manage and whatever it is that we do with our lives. But we don't trust our own creativity, our own production, our own leadership. We trust God. We're ready to serve. But we always trust God for the energy to do and the results that follow. We are always ready. We're always instant in season and out of season. Right, Tori? We are instant in season and out of season. We're ready to do what God has called us to do. But we rely on God for the energy to do it and the results that come from it. And how many of you know that God has better results than you do? Number four, don't be a whiner. Number verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. King James Version says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Let's face it, we live in the age of the whiner. Social media has only magnified our ability to reach more people with our complaints. Some of you look at how many views I've got of me whining. Right? We live in a time of the outrage machine who tells us all why they're offended and why everybody's horrible except them. Why they're right and you're wrong. Why their political view should be heard and yours not. Right? But let's be honest, we can all be complainers at times. And we know that the heart of complaining is caused by a lack of a thankful heart. That the reason why we are complainers is because we're not grateful for what we have. I do, I'll just be honest with you, I do get a little, I I, kind of breathe heavy sometimes. You ever sigh when you read a post? (sighs) You just read the post and you're like, your head just drops and you're like, Jesus. But I'm going to be honest with you, I know as Christians, in the, in the world that we live in, it's becoming more antagonistic to be Christian. It's becoming more antagonistic to stand on the Word of God. It's becoming more antagonistic to stand on what we believe is the traditional reading of Scripture. But I do get a little bit weary of Christians on Facebook just talking about how bad we have it in America. Come on. It is not that bad. Just because somebody gives you a, a, you know, a, a comment on Facebook, I didn't like that. Oh, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> I've been thrown to the lions. 
Nero's burning me like a lamp in the streets. Can we be grateful that we still live in the most prosperous, most free, the most beautiful nation on earth? Man, we've got our problems. We've got our troubles. We all know that there is no nation, no form of government that is perfect until the king sets up his throne. We all know that. And it doesn't mean that we don't point out injustice. It doesn't mean that we don't point out oppression. It doesn't mean that we don't point out persecution. I'm not trying to make light of anybody's problems. I'm going to be honest with you. There's been a couple times I've had to grab my side here because... Uh, Logan threw a pitch at me and it bounced off my glove and it hit me in the rib. And I believe he cracked it. And so I'm in a little bit of pain. So I'm not going to tell him to shake it off anymore because I've yet to shake it off. Um, So I don't want to downplay your pain. It's okay to not shake it off. So don't get me wrong, I know that we live in a day and age right now where we, there have some things that have come to the surface that have caused us, we've had to face our own hearts, our own prejudices, our own racism, our own oppression. We've had to face the facts that we live in a broken, messed up world. I'm not trying to downplay that. But if we will stop long enough and be grateful for what God has already done for us, it changes who we are and our perspective. We are a blessed people, blessed by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world is going to get worse and the worse, but the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Gratitude changes our attitude. It changes our perspective. And as lights in the world, being a grateful person can be very countercultural. Having a faith-filled, positive outlook on life can make us very, a very refreshing aroma in the stench of this world. We live, the Bible says, in a crooked, a perverse, a polluted generation. Our mouths always indicate who we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we are to be blameless, pure, children of God, lights in the world, then our speech should be salted with thanksgiving and praise. What a refreshing place to be, to find someone who can point out why they should rejoice instead of why they should be mad. And finally, holding, holding to the word of life, holding to the word of life. Now, this phrase in the Greek can mean a lot of things. It can mean holding forth, holding out, holding fast, holding to. But the point is, is that we must be people of the word. We're holding on to it. We're holding fast to it. We're holding it forth. We're holding it out. We are people of the word. The answer to sin, to brokenness, to hopelessness, to addiction, to heartache, to darkness is the word of life. We must... Get in our hearts that the answer is the gospel. And you're like, well, what's the question? It doesn't matter. The answer is the gospel. Two plus two equals the gospel. (laughs) Whatever it is that is broken and messed up about our world, the answer is the gospel. So whatever we are becoming, we must be gospel-centered, gospel-oriented, and gospel-motivated people. People who are of the word of life. It's in the word of life that it produces a faith that cannot be shaken. It is the word of life. 
that reveals to us the character of God and the reality of his promises. It is the word of life that shows us his commandments and then teaches us how to live in a troubled world. It is the word of life that brings hope in darkness, peace in the storm, and joy in the heartache. It is the word of life that heals and delivers and sets the enemy to flight. And it is the believing of the gospel that not only prepares us for life here, but prepares us for an eternity in heaven. It is the word of life. So when we are word people, we are holding to the very source of our transformation. We are holding to the very source of the transformation of our culture. And Paul is saying if we want to be, if we want to become, we have to be transformed. And in order to be transformed, we have to hold fast to the word of life. And I know that the Bible is being attacked. I know that there's a lot about Scripture that we can fight over, that we can talk about interpretation. And a lot of people are now taking the Word of God and trying to fit it into the culture and trying to make it say what we want it to say in order to fit the lifestyle that we want to live or the attitude that we want to have. But we recognize that if we're going to hold fast to the Word of life, we have to hold fast to what it says, not what we want it to say. We have to hold fast to what the Word of God says and not what we want to argue about our own interpretation because we want it to fit what we want it to say. Holding fast to the Word of life doesn't mean I'm going to hold on to it till I don't like what it says. I'm going to hold on to it until it convicts me. I'm going to hold on to it until it judges me. I'm going to hold on to it until it makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to hold on to it until it tells me to obey or it's inconvenient. Right? It's easy to hold on to the word of life when we need a healing. It's easy to hold on to the word of life when we need delivered, when we need set free, when we're asking for a blessing. But we got to hold on to the word of life when there's a commandment involved. We got to hold on to the word of life when it challenges our sin and our brokenness, when it challenges who we are and com- commands us to repent. We have to hold on to the word of God when it exposes the darkness in our lives. If we're going to be people of the word, we have to be people of the word when it heals and when it hurts, when it, when it puts us back together and when it wounds us, when it rains blessings, showers of blessings on our lives, and when it brings the commandments that tells us how to live. So as I close here this morning, we should stop every so often and ask ourselves, what have I become? What am I becoming? And who do I want to become? Those are hard questions to ask sometimes. What have I become? What am I becoming? Take a look at the steps you're taking, the world, the the path that you're taking. Where is it taking you? And who do I want to become? Because this is sanctification. As we prepare our hearts for his presence in our lives, as we continue to climb, as we continue to push, as we continue to work hard, as we continue to, to pursue This is sanctification, and this is what it means to live as a faithful follower of Jesus. As we do this, the image and the reputation part takes care of itself. Because we no longer have to put on a show to get points. We are who we say we are. We are who we say we are. And then we just start living out of that reality. We are who we say we are. So I want to ask you that question today. Who are you becoming? Paul said, I am, I am encouraging you to be blameless, to be innocent, to be pure, to, to shine as lights in the world, to not be polluted and mixed, 
with the filth and the sin of this world? Why? That you may be. I'm challenging you to obey. Why? So that you may be. I'm challenging you to work hard. Why? So that you may be. What are you or who are you becoming today? Bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are for the challenge of the Word of God, even when it may be uncomfortable, even when it may be inconvenient. We bow our heads before you, King, and say, forgive us for not living in obedience, for not living out our faith, for not living as lights in the world. Help us, Jesus. Help us to hear what you say to us and give us the courage to obey. Help us, Lord, to be people who are industrious, who obey and work hard, who trust you with all of our hearts, who live a grateful life, O God, who bring glory and honor unto you by living uh, grateful lives, thankful for all that you've blessed our lives with. And may we be people rooted and grounded in your word for your glory in Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed as we focus our attention on him for just a few moments. Today we're going to sing a worship song here in just a minute. I don't want this worship song to just be an end to the service. I'm asking you to take this opportunity to lay your heart before the Lord and ask yourselves these questions. What am I becoming? Who do I want to become? What have I become? You know, you can't... can't Know where you're going if you don't know where you are. And some of you in here are lost. You're lost. Maybe you never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Maybe you never surrendered your heart to his purpose for you. You're lost. Maybe at one time you had a relationship with Jesus. But you've wandered. Your heart has drifted. And you feel lost. Gosh, you may even be a Christian in here today and feel lost. Don't know where you are, and so you don't know how to move forward because you don't know where you are. And you know what? There is so much freedom in the grace of God. So much freedom. He wants to change not just your location. He wants to change who you are. He wants to be able to come and, and, and bring grace, bring peace to your storm, joy to your heartache, hope to your hopeless situation. Gosh, he loves you that much. Christianity is about God putting broken people back together. And so why don't you allow his grace to reach you today? If you feel lost in any way, if you feel lost in any way, ask him to find you today. God, find me because I can't find myself. Find me because I don't know where I am. I'm lost. Darkness is heavy. Darkness is heavy. It's a dangerous place to hide. So don't hide here this morning. Let grace find you and bring you peace. If you're in this room today and maybe you are struggling in your walk with God and you need that energy and that strength, you've lost your passion, you've lost your energy, you've lost your excitement, let's pray. If you need a healing, if you need deliverance, let's pray. If you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost to have that energy to do, let's pray. Let's take this opportunity today to seek the Lord, to put our heart before Him, to be obedient to His grace.